And I've said all along that the, the, the final chapter will be a credit event. It'll be induced by uh, either tight or a seized up credit system. So just the fact that they're crimping the pipeline of credit through standards tells you that we've got a problem directly ahead. Well, hello there, my friends. Chris Marcus here with you for Arcadia Economics. And we do have a special treat for this week's physical silver market update because joining me in addition to Andy Schechner of Miles Franklin, we have my dear old friend Bill Holter of BillHolter.com, also part of Miles Franklin, and going to dig into some of the latest activity in the silver and financial markets. A lot going on out there, as always. So, Andy, it's great to have you in here today. How are you, my friend? Doing well, buddy. Uh, thanks for having us. And Bill, it's a pleasure to see you again, as always. One of the legends of the gold and silver industry. Obviously, you've been doing this for quite a long time. And how's everything going with you? Pretty good. Good to be back on again. Well, it's a pleasure to have you both. And Andy, one question, we'll just get this one out of the way since we try and provide an update on that every week before we dig into some of the news happening. But last week you mentioned premiums have leveled off a little bit after a rather steady decline over the past couple of months. And perhaps you could give us an update there. Yeah, we're, we're in a holding pattern at the lowest premiums I've seen in four years across the board. Best availability, lowest premiums, um, and it have they haven't dropped at all in, in the last week or two. So I don't see them going any lower. So I guess the downside risk is only the spot price. That's it. You have virtually none at all downside risk in any of the items that we sell from numismatics to bullion in premium. It's as low as I've ever seen them since before the pandemic. Okay. And Bill, obviously you're quite involved on uh, the gold and silver side of this. Curious if you could walk us through what the last couple of months have been like for, for you from your perspective. Obviously, we had across the industry quite an uptick in demand back when we had some banks going down. Things have calmed down a bit since then, but maybe you could just share a bit about your experience and perhaps more more importantly, how people were responding and what, what they're thinking as they watch some of these things play out. Um. In the last two months, two months ago, business did slow somewhat. It got a little bit quiet. Um, and I'm going to say in the last two or three weeks, uh, I've definitely seen an uptick in the amount of emails and phone calls and orders that I've gotten. So I, I think, uh, I actually think that the lower prices, the lower premiums has brought some people into the market. I agree. I agree very much. We've seen an uptick over the last week or so. 10 days um, noticeably, uh, but it hasn't had any effect whatsoever on the premiums which have, have leveled off and um, the demand hasn't pushed them up yet, I guess is what I mean. Okay. And Andy, uh, now that we're past the halfway mark of this year, I don't know if you've looked at any figures recently of first half 2023 versus first half 2022, or can even give us a ballpark estimate Obviously, 2023, either no demand or a strong demand, but any idea of how things are shaping up relative to last year? Uh, bigger, much bigger than last year, which I thought would never be bigger. Um, what we saw in April, March and April with Silicon Valley and 
Venture Bank, brought in 14,000 clients in 45 days. That's four years worth of clients. I mean, it was an event that really I had never seen before because it's one thing for us to talk about the markets, the stock market, the bond market, real estate market, the dollar. It's another thing to say that the place that you've you know, gone to bed every night thinking, geez, well, at least my money's safe in the bank. To say that that's not safe anymore, to say that that's systemic, to say that that has real big problems. And, and that happened with Janet Yellen doing what, what she wasn't supposed to do, bailing out the banks. And of course, it wasn't at the expense of the taxpayers, so we're told, right? But wait until they get bailed in, because during the Dodd-Frank, or as a result of the Dodd-Frank law or act, bail-ins are now written into law. Bail-outs are not supposed to happen. And right. when you see bail-ins happen this time, that's how fast things change. When people lose their money this time and are bailed in, anything over the $250,000 FDIC level, I think it becomes a whole different level of, of, uh, of, of panic. And But that, what we saw in March and April was six months worth of business, really. So it's kind of skewed in a respect. But uh, yeah, it, it's we're way ahead of last year, which was the biggest year by far that we've ever had in over 30 years. And it'll only take one bank. It will only take one bail-in. Once there's one bail-in, you're going to see an absolute run mm -hmm. because people are going to wonder if their bank is next. You have to wonder when you look at the massive outflow out of the commercial banks, the big money, probably going directly into the treasury market, like treasurydirect.gov, where they can sidestep all the bank systemic risk, borrow direct or, or invest directly with the, the treasury in in short-term duration treasuries. I mean, they're losing on, a, on a, a dollar basis way more than the regional banks are, which, you know, those, they're the ones with all of the, the immediate balance sheet risk. So, so we're told, look at what's going on with Bank of America. Their stock is, is getting clubbed too. So there's a lot going on with the banks. And I think that's where the problem uh, will, will reemerge from. And so this calm before the storm, honestly, uh, is as as in terms of availability and premium and price, it's never been this good. And you have to sit back and wonder, you know, is everything all of a sudden okay, or or is this just kind of the calm before the storm? I look at it as being the calm before the storm. I think the banks before the end of this year and into next year, when over a trillion dollars in in these uh, commercial real estate non recourse loans have to reset or or be refinanced. Uh, it's going to create a massive strain on the system. One that there's no way they're going to, we're going to get away from unscathed. Someone has to take the losses. That's the bottom line. Well, I guess we always have the bank term funding uh, facility, which um, can, can just mark everything to par. Although Bill, along the lines of what Andy was mentioning, you've been talking for a couple of years, uh, but in the past year in particular about tightening credit conditions you saw the senior loan officer survey last week show as much. Uh, curious, any updates you could offer there? Um, just what's out there publicly. I mean, it's a fact that credit standards have tightened dramatically. And I mean, I've said all along that the, the, the final chapter will be a credit event. It'll be induced by uh, either tight or a seized up credit system and everything runs on credit. So um, just the fact that they're crimping the pipeline of credit through standards 
tells you that we've got a problem directly ahead. Now, interestingly enough, uh, for the first time, and I'm going to say this has got to be pretty close to 20 years, we're seeing a, a pretty big uptick in velocity. And I've always said that once velocity actually bottoms and does turn sustainably higher, and we're pretty close to that point in time, uh, if velocity continues higher, we're, we're close to that being a proven point in time. Once velocity does turn higher, that's the hot potato moment. Yeah. And so I'm once, uh, yeah, I was just going to say once, once, uh, once you get the herd moving in, in the velocity area, uh, individuals, businesses, et cetera, are going to treat the dollar like a hot potato. And that, that somewhat goes along with, uh, any type of new currency or new currency scheme that comes out of the BRICS, you're going to see a lot of dollars coming back on shore because a lot of these nations that have stockpiled dollars uh, to meet settlement for trade, they're simply going to dump the dollars. And that's a huge hot potato moment, which uh, I guess to put in plain English, that's when the dollar hyperinflation yeah, and you know, there's a lot of talk about the difference between the BRICS currency not being a, a reserve currency yet, that it would be a settlement currency. But if all of these countries are settling in their own currencies and ultimately in a common trading currency, the lack of trading or settling in the dollar in and of itself has to erode the reserve status of the dollar as rates come up and as the dollars hit our shore and inflation creates that event. 100%. And I couldn't agree more. 100%. Couldn't agree. And and Chris, understand that when I'm talking about dollars, um, institutionally, dollars are held in U.S. treasuries, not necessarily long-term treasuries, but say T-bills. Who's going to be the buyer of all those T-bills? There's only one buyer, and that'll be the Federal Reserve. They're going to be the, la the buyer of last resort because they'll be forced to. It certainly seems like that has become an inevitability. Obviously, uh, get one of the bigger drivers being that now the interest expense on the debt really starting to accelerate at the higher rates. So you have a bit of a gap there that no one has really <laughs> suggested an alternate uh, solution outside of the Fed. Although back to uh, the perhaps the idea of an alternate currency. Andy and I have talked about this a bit in the past couple of weeks, but Curious what you're thinking. We've heard rumors maybe the BRICS nations will announce something at their meeting, and I guess that's just uh, two weeks away now. Uh, of course, we've also heard some of their officials say, no, we're not planning anything just yet. But I think there's enough to indicate that whether there's an announcement later this August that they've been actively working towards moving away from U.S. infrastructure as much as possible. So Curious what you've been seeing and hearing about that. Well, my guess is they they will announce something. And I my guess is that something will be some type of framework. Uh, and they may even give a timeline as to how, how quickly or slowly they plan to uh, actually introduce a settlement currency. But it's already happening. I mean, look at Saudi Arabia. They're accepting other currencies than dollars you, you've got you've got china 
settling uh, trade in Yuan with no use of dollars whatsoever. So there's, it, it doesn't matter whether August 22nd to the 24th is the day. It's already happening. Um, there's nothing that's going to stop it because there's no way, especially after the U.S. Uh, confiscated the Russian Forex reserves, there's no way that trust is going to be rebuilt and countries are going to say, no, we're not going that direction. We're going to stay with the dollar. The dollar is moving away from the system and to a, to a point of extinction at some point. Um, so, like I said, there's 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 no turning back at this point. It's already in motion. The only question is the timing. Yeah, even our allies like France buys massive liquid natural gas deal, I think, from Oman and pays for it in Yuan. Uh, and I think it was Oman. I'm not positive. It was one of the countries that that is big in exporting liquid natural gas and paid for it in Yuan. These all these trades used to settle in dollars. When you see uh, Brazil, the second largest exporter of corn in the world, now accepting Yuan for their trade. Little by little by little, all of these trades that are, used to be in dollars that are now settling in other currencies. And what is the Yuan convertible into? gold on the Shanghai Gold Exchange. And so, yeah, little by little, you're seeing, I think, the dollar being replaced. And and so whether or not they make that announcement the 22nd, the big announcement to me will be the coalition of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization and the Eurasian Economic Union with the BRICS. They've all been formally invited to the BRICS. James Rickard says that is indeed what is going to happen, that they will coalesce. And you know, you're talking the majority of human population when you put all these groups together. You throw the Belt Road Initiative into it, where all the OPEC countries are, and, and 150 plus countries, 50% of global GDP, almost 75% of the population of the planet. You put all of them together and you're north of 85% of the world, of the world's people um, that are going to be uh, indoctrinated slowly and then steadily and then all at once into a new settlement system. Yeah, it's certainly no longer just a small country here or there, but when you start looking at the percentage of the actual globe that's included in this, uh, certainly worth taking note of. Uh, another thing that happened in the past week that I thought was interesting, uh, we saw the U.S. debt get downgraded by Fitch, which is now the second rating agency to do that. We had S&P back in 2011 before they shortly after got investigated by the Department of Justice. Um, Bill, I know you're a big Janet Yellen fan, obviously, and she said she disagreed oh, with the decision. Um, I'm assuming that you thought the decision made a lot of sense and perhaps only disagreed with it being a little late in the game. He's got a giant picture of her above his bed. That's I, because she does too that many was much. What is? Were you, were you surprised? Well, no, she disagrees with the downgrade. That's oh. because she does too many mushrooms. Yeah, right. Should have been downgraded a long time ago. It really, they should have been. Look at the 2022 balance sheet. It, it, it specifically says they have $155 trillion in debt versus just over $5 trillion in assets, the largest being student debt, almost 40% of the assets. So, I mean, is that really a country that should have a... AAA rating? I don't think so. Where our debt to GDP ratio puts us as a banana republic. Yeah, and as far as a banana republic goes, it's not just financial. Uh, when I went to to college back when you were still in diapers, Chris wasn't even born. Yeah, probably he wasn't. A banana republic was defined as 
pretty much any country that had over 100% debt to GDP. The U.S. now, we're over 125% debt to GDP. And we're the reason, the world's reserve currency. That's ridiculous. The other side to a banana republic is the rule of law. And the rule of law is and has broken down in the U.S. Uh, I mean, just look at what they're doing. Think about uh, South American countries that jail their ex-presidents. I mean, that's really what's going on here. The dollar or the United States via the dollar attracted all kinds of investment for 50, 75 years because we were a trusted nation that had a, a firm and hard rule of law. That's now gone. So from a mathematical or financial standpoint, we're a banana republic. And from a rule of law standpoint, we're a laughable banana republic. Uh, it's, I mean, how could the... Here's here's a question. How could the world uh, with a straight face continue to use the dollar as the world's reserve currency? Yeah, we talked about this last week, Chris. And my comment to you was people tied together inner tubes or, or tires and with string to float across a, a you know, a, a, an ocean to come find liberty and justice. And and does anyone watching this really believe that that is being administered equally just to the, the current administration and the previous. And, and to me, that's the most depressing thing of everything. Just like censorship was in 2020, that virus didn't bother me anywhere near as much as the the the, the our, our freedom, our liberty, our First Amendment rights being stripped right out in front and people just accepting it. And, you know, that to me, the bigger problem is what he's talking about as far as I'm, that, 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 that logarithmic decay, where little by little, then all at once, bang, it's in your face, and it's transgenderism, it's cancel culture, it's censorship, it's the rule of law, it's it's all of these things that are eroding what America stands for, liberty and justice for all, right? And we don't even say the Pledge of Allegiance anymore. These things are eroding, and do not think that that is lost on our foes who see it and say, yeah, look at these guys, look at, you know, it, Look at the 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 head of the Navy and the Joint Chiefs of Staff. I mean, look, I, I don't have a problem with people do behind closed doors, but that doesn't represent strength as far as I'm concerned. So this is a country that seems to have lost its way. And as you and I have talked about for a long time, I pose the question, how much of this was intended a la Jared Bernstein? We don't need to go down that road again because we've talked about it it's a lot. It's all a plan. Yeah, well. It's all a plan. You know, but it's nuts. I mean, you can't make this stuff up to where people in this country are okay with the division of justice this way, how people can think that that's okay, no matter how much you dislike former President Trump to, to be okay with what is happening to him versus what is not happening. And now it's almost as if they're placating people by, by you know, digging finally a little deeper into Hunter Biden five, 10 years after they had all the, the, the dirt on the guy. So I don't know, I don't need to go down that path. But what he's saying is very important is that this is not just the bricks and de-dollarization. It's a symptom of a greater problem. And that in and of itself right there is every bit as corrosive as the mismanagement of the dollar, I think, to our worldwide opinion and the countries who want to continue to accept the dollar as the world reserve standard. Yeah, it certainly is um, alarming times on not just the monetary front, but a lot of the things that are going on. Although, uh, Bill, back to silver for a moment, if I may. Obviously, we have 
you know, the monetary concerns going on. I know you've also seen that we have a bit of a, a deficit, at least according to the numbers we get from Silver Institute. We've seen the drain down in inventories. Um, and I have the uh, Silver Institute supply and demand in the background, although shows that we were they were expecting a decline in investment demand this year, which Andy, at least based on what you said from the first half versus second uh, first half of this year versus last year, we may be going higher. Um, Bill, do you think that it will be the monetary or demand from bank failures that will drive silver? Or do you think we get to the point where we finally reach some sort of gap when the silver just isn't there? Well, it'll probably all happen at the same time. Um, one will trigger the other of, you know, whether it's a financial problem triggering a failure to deliver, or is it a failure to deliver that causes a, the financial problem? It's hard to say. Um, but as we talked about before, you can't print gold, you can't print silver, you can't print oil, wheat, etc. And once, once the uh, financial derivatives lose sway, and again, whether it be uh, because of supply and demand or for whatever reason, once the once the derivatives break, I mean, you could see many, many commodities that that double, triple, quadruple in price literally overnight, simply because the the uh, the financial cushion, if you will, of the the derivatives suppressing the price is gone. And then it's discovered that the supply doesn't exist. So, I mean, I it will all end up in a failure to deliver in, in many different commodities. But the question is, you know, the chicken or the egg question, is it the, the failure to deliver that causes the financial problems or is it the financial problems that cause the failure to deliver? It really doesn't matter. I would think it's the financial problems that cause the failure to deliver the realization Again, pointing to a bail-in. If we see a bank bail-in, you're going to see mass hysteria where people who never would have thought about gold and silver are saying, holy shit, I need out of the system now, out. And that was what it was like when these banks were being bailed out. When they're bailed in and people understand the systemic nature of, of one bank pulling down several others, um, we haven't even talked about the insurance companies in that environment, but or yeah, the or the, or the brokerages, but yeah. And so, yes, I think that will on the, on the physical demand side from retail side or from the investment side, I think that's enough demand to sway the tables um, dramatically. Uh, we're already seeing massive increase in, in uh, green and renewable energy type of demand for silver. And let's not forget, we've depleted all of our artillery, lots of it, sending it off to uh, the Ukraine. And as I've said many times before, Google it, almost exactly 500 ounces in the tip of every Tomahawk cruise missile. So when you're talking about you know, advanced weaponry and guidance systems, it all needs silver too. So between military and industrial and, and monetary demand, it's off the charts. Ultimately, when that happens, I think it it really you're going to see a squeeze on the COMEX and a squeeze on the LBMA where everyone rushes to take what is available before it's not. And Bill, would I be correct in saying it? It sounds like you see a lot of this happening even before it gets to the point where the Fed's 
reverting back to QE and lowering interest rates, almost as if that will be a response to a lot of the things that you see playing out? Right. Uh, the Fed may be forced into QE. I mean, they may not get a chance to do that on their own. They may be forced into QE uh, by financial conditions, by uh, you know failures to deliver, by uh, defaults on on you know whether it be commercial pro, uh, real estate projects, uh, banks themselves, insurance companies, brokers, what have you. I I think it's very likely that the Fed will have their hand forced. I mean, look, let's go back to, to 1982 when uh, rates peaked out. Every time the Fed lowered rates, they created a bubble. They started to raise rates until they broke something, and then they were forced to, to lower rates again. That cycle is still going, except this time rates are much higher uh, than when they were at, at – not much, much higher, but they are higher than where they were – during the last uh, hiking cycle. Yeah, but then also we had a surplus, not a deficit, and the world reserve status wasn't being challenged or called into question. Am I am I right on that? Uh, we haven't had a surplus since 1960. The the trade deficit and the, the fiscal deficit as a percent of GDP was much lower years ago, but it was a deficit. It was probably it was well under a trillion dollars, right? Uh, yeah, I think that, what was it 19, in the 70s or or around 1980 was the first $1 trillion. And by the way, we've added one point, I think, I want to say $1.8 trillion. In eight weeks. In eight weeks. So 1.2 or three. Over a trillion dollars in eight weeks. It took 209 years to do it. Last right. time we did it in eight weeks. So it's accelerating. And if they, Chris, if they lower rates, what does that say to the rest of the world about desire to hold dollars that are now we've acquiesced and gave into inflation and interest and we're just forgetting about it and and trying to salvage the markets. I think it just, you're damned one way, if not the other. So that's kind of the whole big picture that's hard, even if you get part of it right. The What happens as a result or the consequences of it, God only knows. Well, I hear you. It's uh, been quite a, I don't know, a ride following this uh, in the past 15 years. It does feel like a lot of the things that we've been concerned about seemingly uh, increasingly happening now, which is a bit disconcerting, but appreciate what you guys have both shared and Elise helping to point out what is coming in the road ahead. And Bill, uh, perhaps you can let people know about the website where they can find you because fortunately you're still doing some writing and um, give people that address. Yeah, you can go to uh, billholter.com. Uh, or if, and you can contact me through that, or you can uh, go through my my business email, which is bholter at hotmail.com. Oh, and we, we do have an announcement. We're writing a book together. Yeah, Andy, you've mentioned that uh, a, a couple times uh, earlier this year. Anything, uh, any highlights we can share yet or snippets uh, to look well, for? We've got, we've got it pretty well worked out and, and we want to have uh, Robert Kiyosaki write the foreword and and have him involved with this too. So, you know, it's something that's not easy for me. He's a hell of a writer, Bill is. And so uh, between the two of us, I think we'll be able to get it done. And uh, it, it's just something, it's something I've wanted to do for a very long time. And now I have someone who will hold my feet to the fire and 
we'll, uh, we'll hopefully get it pumped out here pretty quick. And do we have a title yet? Mm, yeah, but yeah, we do, but we can't tell you. Okay, we'd have to kill you. We'd have to kill you, man. You've got a dog that could do that. Too. <laughs> well, that that is what I hear. And Andy, before we wrap up, anything on special on the silver side this week? That yeah, you're we have uh, silver bull mint rounds that are two dollars and fifty cents over the price of silver. So they. Uh, one ounce silver bull mint rounds are two fifty over. I, I don't remember the last time that I've sold them that low. So um, it's it, this is as opportune as it as it's been since um, since twenty nineteen, at least in terms of what you're paying over spot to get something. And these are in stock for immediate delivery. Well, as you mentioned, premiums are on the lower side, and thanks to Monday's trading activity, silver price dropped again uh, there to make it even a little bit less. So. Either case, appreciate both you guys joining me, making some time today. Bill, great to see you as always. And Andy, thank you for being here each week. And uh, we'll look forward to doing this again soon. Take care, buddy. Good to see you, Chris. Thanks, Chris. Well, thank you to both Andy and Bill for everything that they shared in today's show. It was nice to have both of them together again. Obviously, a lot of experience between the two of them in both gold and silver. And just providing an update on a lot of the issues that have led so many of us into gold and silver. and. Certainly will be an interesting second half of this year. Before we wrap up, also wanted to thank BlackRock Silver, who brought us today's show. BlackRock has been advancing its Tonopah West and Silver Cloud projects. And at Tonopah West, they've been using the information that they got from their 2022 drill campaign to update their geologic model, which now includes the step-out drilling they did last year, a kilometer northwest of the DBB resource. That has also increased the strike length of their vein system to over three kilometers and has left them ready to deliver a new updated resource this year, building on the 42 million ounces that they released in their maiden resource. And BlackRock has also begun drilling on their Silver Cloud project, where they received readings of 70 grams per ton gold, 600 grams per ton silver. And now they're testing approximately 500 meters of strike along the high-grade vein. Of course, this is also in addition to their lithium discovery at Tonopah North, which was somewhat unexpected, but they got some great lithium results. I've been doing a joint venture with Tierlock Resources, where Tierlock is funding the exploration drilling and leaving BlackRock with an interest in the mineralization, all of which you can find out more about at blackrocksilver.com to get a better idea of how they've been moving these projects forward, even while we've been in a bit of a bear market in the silver mining stock space. So again, thank you to BlackRock for bringing us today's show. Hope you're having a great day out there, and I will see you again tomorrow. 